The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and this is the show where the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up in a rough environment. The home was full of abuse and drug addiction, and she dropped out of school at the age of 17 after she got pregnant. However, being a mother was her first glimpse of what love looked like and was the beginning of a different life taking shape. She met a pastor who would become her husband and came to believe that everything works out for the good. Powerful women mentors came into her path and her hard driving passion to want something different propelled her towards success. She engaged in public service opportunities and eventually started her own company, which has grown into a powerhouse service offering. She has transformed herself from a self-destructive young person to a woman driven to impact others. Today's guest is walking a path to greatness. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Rebecca Contreras. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Annette. I am so thrilled to be here and just excited about the topic at hand. Thanks for having me. Yes, and we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm excited to, to have you share with my audience today. So we have so much I want to explore with you. So let's jump right on in. You had a mother who was abusive and a drug addict, but you learned through the years to let go and forgive her and others. Yet so many women hold on to wrongs that have been done to them, and they hold on to them for way too long. So how can a woman learn to let go and move forward? I think one of the toughest things for us is we're really hard on ourselves in that. And oftentimes in talking to women, I find out it's really hard for them to move their past into their future. And um, what I had to do is first and foremost, start at forgiveness, Uh, forgiveness of myself for all those bad choices. And, you know, it's easy to point the finger and say, well, so-and-so made me do it, or I did it because I was abused, or I did it because I had, you know, a bad person in my life. But it's important for us to take accountability and forgive ourselves. For me, it was it was the power behind not only forgiveness of myself, but also forgiveness of my mother. Uh, my mother had a lot of issues psychologically and mentally and also abuse issues. And I had to learn that, you know, she she did what she could at the time uh, with the best tools she had available. And she didn't have the tools that I have today or have had the last 20 years. And so I think forgiveness of her and forgiveness of myself was super important for my movement forward. And when women, I'm going to dig a little deeper on this, Rebecca. So when women don't do that, when they hold grudges and hang on to this thoughts that, you know, why did that happen to me? Or uh, how could that person do this? It really does get them stuck, doesn't it? I think, you know, there, there, there are really two, two ways of getting stuck. They're stuck because you play the blame game, right? So you begin to get stuck because you're blaming this or that or that environmental issue or this person And then you're stuck because you you put yourself in the situation and you can't get past yourself. And so for me, it was both, right? So Mm, I had to learn not only to get rid of the blame game and start, stop pointing the finger of why I was making the bad choices, but I had to get, get past myself. And sometimes it's just starts with strict ownership of the issue, right? So I'm going to own my mistake. I'm going to own the fact that I chose to make a decision and got myself pregnant. I mean, that was my choice. I chose to make that bad decision and not use protection. And I ended up pregnant. Granted, I was looking for love and I felt gaps in in my own personal journey in terms of wanting love from a man and never had a father in my life, father figure. But I had to own that. I had to own that choice. 
the other thing is getting yourself in a position where you're stuck in quicksand and you find yourself sinking slowly and you don't know how to stop the sink. It's understanding that in order for you to stop the sink, you're going to have to make a step to pull up. And sometimes that means grabbing somebody else's hand who can pull you out of the quicksand. For me, it was about my mentors and choosing to get people involved in my life and share my dirt with them and help them understand where I'm coming from, but asking for help and reaching out for that help. And sometimes it's hard for us as women to even take that first step and ask for help because we were ashamed or we were dealing with, you know, shame or we're dealing with insecurity or we're dealing with doubt. And uh, for me, it was about taking that initial step to reach out and ask for help. Now that's brilliant. And that initial step doesn't really kill you. It actually starts to propel you forward. Right, right. I find that uh, unforgiveness and holding on to unforgiveness is really death for yourself. Yeah. It's emotional death. It's spiritual death. It could be physical death, right? Because there's a lot of science behind unforgiveness and what it does to the body in terms of the ill and the effect on the body physically. So for me, unforgiveness was death. And I was done with that. I wanted life. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this rolls in beautifully to the next question. So how performance women are their own worst critic? and often beat themselves up for failing at even small things, Rebecca. So how do you handle failure so you don't get stuck in a negative self-destructive cycle? So for me, the first step was to learn to fail and be okay with failure. We're going to fail. I mean, even the greats, um, the men and women of greats, there's a long list of failures. You look at Abraham Lincoln, and you look at some of the other founding fathers, and even great CEOs that started companies that failed and filed bankruptcy. Whether it's, you know, failure um, that is visible or invisible to the public eye, a lot of my failures were visible to the public eye, right? So, and most of the time, uh, you have to be okay with that failure and embrace it as an agent for change and for positive movement forward. So, For instance, and I'm a driven personality. You and I are both type A, very driven, and we don't like to fail and we don't like to lose. We're in it to win. But sometimes we have to lose in order to learn that life lesson that really is the catalyst for that next step forward. And I think women, uh, because we deal, we're in a society where there's certain things are expected of us that are not expected of men. There's a double standard in a lot of sense. Sometimes we don't want to fail and we don't want to fail publicly. But for me, failure has meant success. There's a great book out there by John Maxwell called Failing Forward. It's learning to fail forward in life and not backwards and understand that there are things you can learn from that failure. And there is really no growth with that hard hardships and such, is there? Correct. Correct. So I, I always tell people, look, I am the woman I am today because of my past. I've had people say, hey, if you could go back and do it over again, would you Would you do things different? Well, of course, I would probably take a, t- a different approach to my life and, and make some steps, stay in school, for instance. But, you know, I am who I am today because of my defined failures of my past. And they shaped my character, Annette. There's a lot of character that comes from failing and failing with the right attitude, right? Uh-huh. Not failing to self-flagellate and beat yourself up because you've you know, you failed, but really failing with the right attitude that think for me, it's not about where I am today or where I've been, but it's where I want to go. And it's understanding that that failure is going to strengthen my core as a woman. And it's probably going to make me a better CEO. It's probably going to make me a better leader. I've made so many mistakes, even in starting my company, things that I would have done different if I had known if somebody had told me to do it different. But 
those failures really have defined who I am today. And I don't know that I would change any of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a great perspective and one that we should all hang on to as we fail forward, as you say. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm going to talk about leadership a little bit. You've served in a variety of leadership roles and now lead a thriving, successful company. And you believe that it is important as leaders to let others fail. Explain what you mean by this and why other leaders should consider making this part of their leadership style. So this is this is a tough one for me because I am um, I can be defined as somewhat of a perfectionist. And, uh, you know, really, (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm so surprised. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Some people would say, well, gosh, you know, you know, she's got such a high excellence standard. It's hard. It's hard to meet it. But, you know, for me, um, I have really woven into my leadership style and, and really into my management team, the opportunity to give them the growth to learn. And that means growth from failure. And, you know, if you do it all and jump in and you try to rescue someone, they're not going to have the the notion of having learned through that situation, whether it's a bad hire that they made or whether it's how they managed a client. Um, I'm all about being there to say, hey, how can I help support you? But at the end of the day, I want them to come to me to say, what do you think you need to do different? You tell me how you could have remedied that issue. The, the learning from that manager to understand that they're empowered by their boss to fail. Being empowered to fail doesn't mean I'm going to say, hey, everybody, let's fail because we like to fail. It just means we're going to learn from that failure and we're going to learn from it together. And we're going to stop and think about how it's going to make us better as a leader, as a manager, as a consultant serving to our clients. Listen, our clients appreciate the fact that we're transparent. So we have a DNA that, that is transparency of who we are. What you see is what you get. And sometimes that means uh, transparent in the failure to them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so many leaders are afraid to be transparent. And I think it's a, it's, um, it's a shame in some ways because it shows strength of character if you're willing to be transparent when you make a mistake or things don't go as planned, but then to do right. something about it, not to serve it up as an excuse, but as a point of transparency. Yes. And, and honestly, today, people want transparency. People are tired with the facade of, of not really understanding what's really behind that person. And people want transparency. They want authenticity in their leadership, Right. So being an authentic, transparent leader means that you're going to let your people see you weak. Hey, listen, I have lost my temper. I have even cried. I have, there have been situations where my managers have seen me weak. It doesn't mean that I'm a weak person. It means that I'm showing them my authenticity as a woman, as a leader, as a CEO. There's journeys that we've gone through together, whether it's their, you know, they have a loved one that's sick. I'll stop and I'll ask about that. I want to know what's going on in their life. What's preventing them from being effective? Is there something else going on in their life? That's the authenticity and the transparency that I think employees are really searching for in their CEO, I find. Yeah. And I think we're lacking that desperately in so many areas of business, don't you think? Well, I would say business, certainly politics. (laughs) (laughs) Every area of the culture uh, today, I think, lacks that authenticity. So where I can bring it, realizing that I'm only one person, but I can I can change the sphere of, of influence that I have and bring it where, where I step, then that, that's really my goal. Well, and that can create a ripple effect, can it? It that's can. What, that's what we hope for, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You mentioned men. I'm going to go into that arena for a second. Society certainly does not view men and women leaders the same. So how have you been viewed as a female leader and how do you deal with the disconnects 
to still maintain a position of power and influence. Well, it's funny. I just I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine who's also um, CEO of her own company, and we were we were laughing about the double standard that exists. And that you and I both know that in the workplace, whether it's in business or whether it's in government or whether it's in, in nonprofit world, wherever you are, as you climb the ladder as a woman, the standard for you uh, becomes higher and higher and higher. And there are certain things that are expected of us that aren't necessarily expected of men. I'll just give you one example. If I get to a point where I might lose my temper or might be a little brash in my style, automatically it's, oh, she was too tough on me. Um, She really hurt my feelings. Um, I wish she would have talked to me different. But if a guy does that, that's just the way he is as a leader, right? People don't stop and think about that personality or the style in which that that CEO or that manager, senior manager dealt with the situation. For me, um, I certainly try to be aware that um, how my comment crossed. So the language of not only my body language, but my tone, how I'm saying things, those things are important. I've talked to men, uh, leaders, counterparts that don't even stop to think about that. Just take it or leave it, right? But because I'm such an authentic, I strive to be an authentic leader. I care about how I come across. Um, sometimes to the point of taking a step back and not dealing with the situation at that moment, because I'm upset about it, I stop and I think, do I need to take a little bit of a pause and deal with this in an hour or two versus right now? Um, I think as women, we we look at things from a different lens because we care deeply uh, how people perceive us and we want to be effective. And we also care about the human soul. We care about that individual human soul because we're nurturers as women. We're leaning in the direction of expressing that nurturing. And I think that makes us better CEOs because we actually do care about what happens. I think you're exactly right. So I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on this. So do you ever find yourself getting caught in a cycle of wanting to be liked? So I used to, Annette, years ago, dec- I would say decades ago, because I had such a troubled past and because I, uh, I didn't have a lot of love in my life. My grandmother was really the only steady, uh, consistent love that I had uh, when she took us in, uh, when my mom abandoned us. And I really got a lot of love from her, but there wasn't a lot of love going around for me. I grew up with a tremendous insecurity and insecurity breeds the need to be liked. It just does. When you're insecure about yourself, you care what people think. And so I used to, I would say in the first 15 years of my career, I really cared a lot about what people thought. I didn't want them to know my past. I didn't want them to know that I was a dropout. I didn't want them to meet my mother and know my mother because I was embarrassed of her. And she did actually clean her up many years later. And we had a great relationship, but I still didn't want them to know her because I was embarrassed of her. And so um, I had to learn in, in, in the first 15 years through a lot of mentoring, a lot of counseling that, you know what? Yes, I care about what people think about me, but not at the sake of compromising myself. And not at the sake of coming to a place where I'm constantly having to to watch my calculated words because I don't want to be misinterpreted. That is bondage for me. So I've kind of come into my own, I would say, the last 15 years. We have this joke that, you know, Rebecca, take it or see it. What you see is what you get. You're going to get the good, but you're also going to get the bad. And, you know, if you don't like it, well, I'm sorry. You know, certainly tell me you don't like it. I want to know. 
but I'm not going to change my DNA of who God created me to be. This is who I am. And again, it goes back to my upbringing and also what I've learned from my past and all the many mentors that have helped shape Rebecca. And I kind of like Rebecca. Um, I didn't always like Rebecca, but the last 15 years, I've really come into my own skin. And something you said that I really hope that those listening and watching hear, and that is when you get past worrying about whether people like you and what they think of you and all that, there is a sense of freedom in that. It's like a big black cloud gets lifted away and you can truly step into your own greatness and your own place of power. Yes, yes. And, and so that freedom, Annette, is so powerful because it really frees you to be who you were destined to be as a woman, right? Not who Jane Doe wants you to be or John Doe wants you to be, not who your husband wants you to be or who your kids want you to be, not who your pastor wants you to be, but who you were created to be. And how you were created to enable and empower people in impact in your own life. Are there things about myself that I wish were different and um, and I could change? Sure. But, you know, I'm 51. I'm still in change mode. I haven't <laughs> arrived yet. I always tell people we always learn and change until we're in the grave. But you do need to understand as a woman that once you come to that freedom of being in your own skin and liking yourself and not really caring what people think to the point of debilitating your path forward, you'll find a whole new level of freedom and an ability to store in ways that you never thought possible. Oh, that is so true. And I have seen that in myself as you have, and I've seen it in others. When we allow ourselves to be authentic and to accept ourselves and love ourselves, there's a switch that happens. There really is. The the creativity is there. The boldness is there. And nobody's going to love you like you love you, Annette. Nobody is going to love you like you love you. Certainly, you ha- I have wonderful people in my life. My husband of 30-some years, my kids, they all love me, and they all accept me. But I need to learn to love myself the way I need to be loved. It's hard to communicate that to someone else who is not you. And so women need to just love themselves and love, love what they bring to the table in terms of their skill set and the tools and the, and the talents that they have to bring. And once you get into that comfort zone, you find people even begin to view you differently. Well, and I'm going to just add one more thought to that. When you learn to love yourself, you need to take care of yourself as you exactly. would somebody you love. Because I see that with women all the time. They, they take care of everyone else except themselves. They don't set a very good example. And it's really selfish in some ways because they're not setting a good example for those around them that they love of how you right. should love someone. Right. And taking care of yourself is, is holistic, right? So it's physically, it's emotionally, it's, it's health-wise, it's mentally, it's taking time for yourself. Um, I have my me time on my calendar. I block my me time and nobody disturbs that. And that's important to value yourself enough to have me time. Yeah, I do the same thing. So all business uh, leaders like yourself and like myself experience loss and disappointments. And certainly the most successful ones move on quickly. So what is your process, Rebecca, for handling disappointments so you don't get stuck in analysis paralysis? I'm told by my managers that I have a very quick decision point. Um, There's not a lot of analysis going on with me. Now, I am analytical in the sense that I want to know exactly what the data says. I want to understand the issue. I don't want to make decisions off the cuff where I don't have the data. But um, Annette, I'm dealing with a situation right now with the client. We're in analysis paralysis, and I've got to jump in and help get the team unstuck because we've been we've been going over the same issues again and again and again with the client that is incredibly difficult, and he's dug his heels in, 
Um, he's got that machismo type mentality. And I'm coming in saying, stop analyzing him, just move forward and let's affect the change needed. And even if it means you make a decision that that person doesn't like, at least someone made a decision. I had a project manager that recently worked, uh, came to work for me. She's been with me for about eight months. She said something to me that was so powerful. She said, Rebecca, I have been in consulting for 20 years and I've never worked for a CEO that it literally sometimes takes them minutes to make a decision. I've had to go layer after layer after layer. And all I do is tell you the problem and you're like, what do you need from me? And you make the decision. Now, granted, with that comes accountability because you might make the wrong decision, right? You may not have enough tools. But over the years, I've, I've learned how to ensure that I have the right data, the right insight, and the right analysis. But then I just make a decision. And I say, hey, listen, jump off the cliff, make the decision. If you made the wrong decision, then you're going to own it and you're going to live through it. But at least a decision is made. I think, uh, especially as a business owner, we're, we're growing very fast this year. We'll grow 17%. Last year, we grew 25%. 2021, I'm, I'm projecting a 20% growth. And for a small business, that's a lot of growth happening all at once. We're not going to grow like that if we can't make agile decisions that are informed and methodical, but in an agile way that helps tool the right people at the right time. Yeah, and, and that's such uh, brilliant wisdom to pass on to others because they, I see so often business owners, uh, whether they are in the entrepreneur space, or if they are working for someone else, they get caught, especially women, get caught into their head and they whirl it around. Right. I don't know. And I've seen it. I don't do that either, but I've seen it happen many times and, and they, they paralyze themselves. Right. So, so my rule of thumb, uh, Annette, is um, I have two discussions. After the second discussion, if I can't make this, the decision at a third point, then I'll, you know something's wrong. We have three and four and five and six strategy sessions to talk about what it is we need to do. Let's get the understanding once. Let's get a deeper understanding twice. And at the third point, let's make a decision. Yeah, I think that's that's good advice. Good advice. So these days, Rebecca, you are driven by the need to impact and even told me this is your reason for living. So how does having such a strong sense of purpose impact your company and its success? Well, so when you grow up the way I grew up, uh, there's a lot of lack. You know, I grew up in abject poverty, Annette, and, um, you know, having to, to worry about what, whether or not my utilities were going to be on or off, whether or not we'd have food. When I have success and have had success, for me, it's about the greater cause and the greater good. Um, I think I shared with you, my husband and I started a nonprofit. We reached out and served thousands of inner city kids, kids where I grew up in the inner city here in Austin, Texas. Um, and for me, it's about giving back and about having the success so that you can go back and help someone else, even if it's, so, if it's only one person. So I often liken myself to being that one person that somebody decided to help through that welfare to work program that I participated in um, that uh, ended up working for a woman by the name Ann Richards, who's very famous here in Texas um, as the first woman governor. And, you know, I, I was through a welfare to work program. And so somebody impacted me. So shame on me if I have success and I don't turn around and find people and lives to impact. And for me, there's two types of impact. There's impact in your business and the people you get to mentor and employ and empower and give jobs to, right? Make payroll uh, families that are impacted by the ability for you to give them a career. And then there's impact in the community and the philanthropy uh, that we do. We have a dual approach to our impact, my husband and I, and we've always, always committed to, to giving back in the community because there's so much need. Listen, if every CEO that owned a company got involved in community impact, whether it's philanthropy or whether it's mentoring a young man or young woman, 
imagine what the world would be like today if all of us did our part. And so I always look at those kids and young women or young men through the lens of myself and through the lens of how somebody impacted me. If they had not been there for me, I would not be where I am today. So I pay it forward, making sure not only that I can support philanthropy, but that, I, that I'm making a difference in people's lives. It's meaningful to me. It's important to me. It's up there in my DNA as a business owner. And it's why I started Avant-Garde. I was a government worker, W-2. I had a great government job. Then I went and worked for another company, had a great uh, 401k and bonus program, making a lot of money. And I went from that to zero to start my business because I knew that in order to uh, create generational wealth for impact, I was going to have to be a business owner to do it. And that means being able to give back. Uh, My goal in the next few years is to give a million dollars away and I'm going to do it. I've set the goal and now it's a matter of, you know, putting the path in place to ensure I can achieve that. I have no doubt that that will happen. No doubt in mind. And that'll touch a lot of people's lives for sure. So Rebecca, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? The only thing I would like to say uh, that is super important is do life with those that um, you aspire to be like, right? So if, you know, if, if people in your circles are people that are looking up to you and you really don't have a line of sight to look up to someone or people or individuals, you're really going to plateau of where you can go. You know, when you achieve success, like the women that you've interviewed in this podcast, so many great women um, that have great stories that have achieved so much. If we're not looking up and looking how to, you know, improve ourselves in terms of our abilities, well, we will plateau. And so don't go it alone. Um, I am not a, a go alone. I always have people around me. Now, granted, it's not a bunch of people. It's a selective two to three to four women um, and even a man or two uh, because we can learn from anybody. But don't go it alone and understand that your impact is only as great as your ability to look up and get get that vision and that bigger. And if you're tired and worn out, as I was uh, about a year ago, then figure out how to reposition yourself to get that energy back. Um, and sometimes it's from other people, Annette. For me, it's about the energy I glean from, from my faith, from other people in my life, from my mentors, and from my family. Yeah, and that, that's a great way to close off what's been brilliant. Uh, wisdom throughout this entire conversation, Rebecca. Thank you so much for taking time out of your company and all your other responsibilities that are so makes your plate so full. Thank you for coming and sharing your wisdom with all those listening. Well, thank you. This has been fun. And I appreciate all you're doing to just give a platform to so many women to tell their stories. So thank you for having me. Yes. And Rebecca is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 